Good morning. It's wonderful to be back in your pulpit. I'm continuing in our series of sermons from the book of Acts. I'm not even halfway through the book. Clearly, I won't even make it by the end of the term. But John Calvin spent five years preaching 189 sermons from the book of Acts. So you're still getting the condensed version here. (laughs) Why did Calvin spend so much time on this book? Why did Luke spend so much time writing it? Because they want us to know what it means to be spirit-filled. And today we encounter the insight of what it means to have a spirit-filled failure in ministry. Let us pray. Holy God, we've gathered here to hear your word. Be gracious to our seeking of it, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. For several days, Paul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. The word of the Lord. We last left Paul. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And along the way, he discovered that there was more to God than he knew. He was blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. Three days later, Paul was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit and took on his new vocation as an apostle of the church, the same church that he came to Damascus to destroy. After just three days, he begins to preach. And he proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah of God, that he did, in fact, die on the cross for our sins, that he did rise in order to give us hope. We're told that all were amazed by Paul's preaching. They said to each other, isn't this the one who came here with papers from the high priest to destroy the church? We're also told that Paul proved that Jesus was the Messiah. I have no idea how you do that. (laughs) But after three days, he's ready to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. What we're not told is that anybody was converted in Damascus. That's very unlike Luke, because up to this point through Acts 9, Luke has been something of a CPA, keeping sharp accounts of exactly how many people have been converted, whether it was the 3,000 people that were converted after Peter's preaching or the one Ethiopian eunuch after Philip, but we're not told anybody was converted. 
And so Paul's evangelistic enterprise in Damascus does not seem to have succeeded. The revival seems to have failed. Maybe that's because he jumped into this three days after his conversion. Maybe that's why we make you spend three years here <laughs> learning a little bit more about the gospel that we proclaim. Not only did the evangelistic endeavor not succeed in Damascus, Paul learned that they were tr going to try to kill him. So he has to sneak out of town one night, being lowered in a basket. Can you imagine a more humble way of leaving town? He came there with the agenda to persecute the church. He realized he was wrong, so then he came to try to save the city of Damascus. And he ends up just sneaking out of town, sitting in a basket as they lower him over the walls. I have often wondered what was going on in Paul's mind as that basket slowly made its way down and everybody said, Paul, just go away. Paul never seems to have gotten over this early failure. He writes about it in his letters to the churches at Galatia and at Corinth. But it's not, it's not because he's filled with remorse or guilt. Instead, it's that he allows this experience to continue his ongoing conversion in his life. He starts to say things like, when I am weak, then I am strong, for I find the strength of Christ Jesus. This was actually a wonderful, pivotal moment in his life. Paul redeemed this failure for his ongoing conversion. All of you are stunning models of success. You wouldn't be here otherwise. But the chances are great that you either have experienced a tremendous failure, or if you continue to follow Christ, you are going to experience a tremendous failure at some point. If you've not ever failed at anything worth doing, then shame on you. Because it means you have not been following Christ out to the edge where he will always lead. And out on the edge, there's no security, and sometimes you succeed, and sometimes you do not succeed. But you're free to go out to the edge because the Savior is there with you. It was never your job to be that Savior. It's your job to take the risk of following him wherever he might lead. This was not Paul's greatest failure by any means. Before we get to this revival not working out so well in Damascus, remember Paul had been taking women and men and dragging them into jail for being Christians. It's striking to me that in all of Paul's writings, we never find any sense of guilt over what he did before this conversion experience. All the people that he took to jail, we never find him saying, I can't believe I did that, this is with me day and night. There's no sense of remorse for this. Why? Because Paul gave his failures, his sins, to Jesus Christ when he gave him his life. You cannot come to Jesus without giving him everything. Absolutely everything. 
So Paul doesn't have guilt because it's not his anymore. He gave it to Jesus. Paul doesn't have guilt for his failures in ministry either because he gave those to Jesus as well. We want to give Jesus what is best about us. We, we want to work hard. We want to think that Jesus got a good deal when he called us and that through our hard work and through our efforts, Jesus will say, whoa, glad I have you on my team. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus has ever been thinking. What Jesus wants is you, all of you. He'll settle for nothing less. So you will have to give him your successes and your failures, your moments of righteousness and your horrifying moments of sin. It all belongs to him. He will take 100% of you. You cannot call him Lord otherwise. And you cannot be free to be of use to Jesus otherwise. Of all of our human emotions, remorse is one of the most useless ones. It just binds you down. It drags you back. You handle your failures like you handle your sins. You confess them, you give them to Jesus, and then you keep moving. This was a wonderful experience for Paul to have right out of the gate in his new ministry because he learned an important lesson here a lesson that he would use over and over again. He would continue to go to cities and he would try to proclaim the gospel of Christ and often he would be rebuked and rejected and kicked out of town, sometimes with a shower of rocks behind him. And what was his strategy when that happened? When the revival campaign in the next city didn't work either? He would shake the dust off from his sandals and he would keep moving. That's the message here. You have got to keep moving. You can't stay in the place of failure. And you cannot carry the dust of failure with you to the next place. We just shake it off. And then we keep following Jesus. The difference between a devastating failure and a good failure is that the good failure is the one you just leave alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.